Let us pray. Lord Jesus, send your Holy Spirit that your written word would become a living word, that you would speak to our hearts this morning. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it is a joy to be back among you. Uh, you broke me in as a bishop, and so you were one of the very first congregations that I was, had the joy of visiting after I was consecrated bishop. So uh, whatever I am today, you're partly responsible. So we praise <laughs> God for that. Today is the Feast of All Saints, and All Saints is a very special day for me uh, because it reminds me, it reminds us of our calling in God. Now, if you ask most people, what is a saint? Often you'll get an answer like, well, a saint is a rare person. They're not very many. They're very different than you or me. Uh, they've been extraordinarily gifted by God for a special purpose. You know, I can set you up. How many people, you know, have that understanding of a saint? A lot of people do. Former Archbishop of Canterbury, Robert Rumsey, in a particularly mischievous moment, was asked in an interview by the BBC, uh, Archbishop, what is a saint? And his answer was, saints are conspicuous Christians whose lives have been insufficiently researched. <laughs> and he was being a bit impish in that, but he was highlighting a place that the church doesn't declare people to be saints very quickly. And, you know, when we honor the saints like St. Luke or St. Matthew, uh, we're very, the church has been very careful about that. But that's not really the heart of the biblical definition of a saint. Both of those understandings miss what the New Testament talks about when it speaks of saints. The Greek word in the, in the Bible is hagiotso, meaning to set apart or make holy. And so all a saint is is someone who has been set apart for God's purposes. And the good news is, brothers and sisters, if you have been baptized, you have been set apart for God's purposes. And so Paul, for instance, in Ephesians 1.1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. They're saints because they've been baptized their sainthood is seen in their faithfulness to Christ Jesus. And so a saint is simply someone who's been set apart for the purposes of Christ. The image I like to use when I think about a person who is a saint is stained glass windows. So have you ever been in a cathedral or a large church and they have beautiful stained glass windows? What makes those windows come alive? You know, if you've been there late at night, you've got the same beautiful stained glass window, but you look at it and you go, you know, it's dark. There's nothing particularly attractive about it. But what makes the window come alive? It's the light shining through the window. And that's what a saint is. Someone, just an ordinary person that's been set apart for God's purposes, through whom the light of Christ shines. And that light of Christ illuminates our life. It brings to life whom God has created, who God has created us to be. And I love what Jesus said, let your light so shine before others that they may glorify your Father in heaven. Let God's light shine through you, the light of his life in you shine forth so that they may see your good works and glorify 
your Father in heaven. Now the good news is we don't have to do this alone, but we are called to be part of a communion of saints. And this is a part of what uh, Taylor is going to do today in her baptism as she's being set apart for the purposes of God. Her parents and godparents are taking some, making vows before God that they will raise and nurture here in the knowledge and love of the Lord. But the other part of it is she's also being made part of a communion of saints, the church, the, the body of Christ, God's people. And so as believers, we share in God's goodness together. Together, our ministry is to call forth Christ's light and goodness in one another. And we are to share Christ's riches with others. And so saintliness is simply growing into the full stature of Christ as we learn to share his riches with others. And so if we are a saint, we have been blessed to be a blessing to others. The light of Christ has come into our lives through the holy baptism and the power of the Spirit so that we can learn to share his light, manifest his light to others who are in need. This is one reason why I love Mother Teresa of India. Now, if you think if there's anybody that fits that first definition of a saint, of someone who's not like we are, that's her. But you miss the real story. You know, she has become so beloved around the world that we forget who she was when she started. She was this little woman, about 4'8", tiny little thing, teaching in a very exclusive private girls' school in Delhi, India. And as she walked around the city, she saw all of these people living and dying in the streets. And so she began to pray about this and saying, Lord, you ought to do something. You ought to send someone to do something. And I think God said, yes. <laughs> Prayer can be a dangerous thing. And so she said, Lord, what should I do? And her story is, the only thing she knew to do, she got a bucket of water, some soap, a washcloth and a towel, and simply went out into the street and began to cleanse, wash, pray for those that she found. She treated them with dignity and respect. She honored that they were people made in the image of God, that they were loved by God, even in their state of being homeless on the streets. She valued all of life, and she knew that her life belonged to Jesus and that Christ's life his love was meant for all people. And so basically she said, Lord, show me how to love these people. And I love what Mother Teresa, my favorite Mother Teresa quote, she says, not many people will dare to do great things, but we can all dare to do small things with great love. We can all dare to do small things with great love. And that's what she did, she took a bucket some washcloth, some soap, and a towel, did the small thing, cleansing them, respecting them with great love. And she transformed the world in many ways. As a disciple, she knew what it meant to be a steward of God. There's a mystery about God's kingdom. And this is something that Jesus wants us to get a hold of as a saint, as a steward of the mysteries of God. And that is that we don't live for what we can gain in this world. This world is not the ultimate reality. But there is a deeper reality that is even more profound and more real than the world in which we live in. 
This world does not have to define who we are. That's what Mother Teresa was saying to those people on the streets in India. How you are viewed by the world does not define who you are. You were made in the image of God. God's love defines who you are. And that mystery is that, that deeper mystery is that there is the kingdom of God. And it's that kingdom of God, which is more real than the kingdoms of this earth, that begins to shape who we are. It's our ministry as the saints of God to live as citizens, as the communion of saints in the kingdom of God, so that we manifest a quality of life that begins to strike other people in profound ways. And that's what Mother Teresa did. That's what Jesus is saying in the Beatitudes. He was saying to the twelve, not if you are humble, you will receive this, or if you are meek, you will receive this. He's saying, as you open your life to me, as you receive my life in you, then the fruit of my life will be that you will be poor in spirit, and yours will be the kingdom of heaven, that you will, be, you will mourn. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. You know, he wept for his friend Lazarus. He mourned, but then he was also comforted. And Jesus was describing the reality of a spiritual life yielded to God. Not we do this, then he will give us that. But it's describing really the whole life of Jesus. Jesus was one who mourned. Jesus was one who was meek. He impacted the whole earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus was passionate about living for God alone. I only do what the Father has given me to do. I only say what the Father has given me to say. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. And so what Jesus is describing, without telling the disciples quite this way, is he was describing the characteristics of his own life. And as we seek to live for Jesus, as we yield our lives to Jesus, more and more the qualities of the Beatitudes will be seen in us. Recently, I was privileged to go to, uh, back to England. I taught in England for seven years at Trinity College, one of the large evangelical, Episcopal, Anglican uh, theological colleges. And one of the things that I was asked to do was to come there and begin to be part of an international team to train the seminarians how to take the gospel out into the culture. Because in England, only about 3% of the people go to church more than once a year. They have the beautiful cathedrals, they have these beautiful churches, but by and large, often they are pretty empty. And so I began to teach, and as a professor, uh, I picked up rather quickly that there was an undercurrent in my classes. And so I had a cohort of students that I was particularly responsible for. And I said to them, am I picking up that there's an undercurrent in my class? And they said, oh yeah. And I said, well, tell me what the undercurrent is. Well, Ron, the undercurrent is that they say you're an American, and what you're teaching will work in America, but it would never work in England. And I said, uh-huh. And so I went to the faculty and at a faculty meeting began to share what I was hearing. And I said, I need for you to redefine my job description and allow me to take 10 students 
and let us move into the inner city in Bristol, England. And they basically thought about it a bit and they said, we will give you permission so long as you continue doing everything else you're already doing. <laughs> I said, all right. And so I found 10 students that trusted me enough and we moved into the inner city. We planted them in different neighborhoods, two by two by two. And there they were, often the only Christians in a whole neighborhood full of non-Christians. And they said, well, Ron, what, what are we supposed to do? I said, win your neighborhood for Christ. Create disciples for Jesus. Manifest the kingdom. How are we supposed to do this? You know, Jesus is sneaky. He sneaks up on us. Do you remember in Luke 9? Jesus got the disciples together and he sent them out two by two to places they'd never been before. And he said, take nothing with you. And they went. And I think Jesus was waiting to see if they got it. Did they understand the kingdom of heaven? Did they, had they learned to seek the Lord and yield their life, believing that God would tell them what to do? And so our guys began to pray. And they began to say, well, Lord, what am I supposed to do? You know, a lot of Christians in the church, when they hear that they're supposed to be a saint that manifests the love and presence of Christ's life to others, they say, whoa, I don't see myself that way, but the Lord sees you that way. And so how, how do we begin? And so I began to teach them about building relationships with their neighbors, about getting to know their neighbors. Love your neighbor, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Ask God what it means to love your neighbors as you're getting to know them. Well, one of the things that happened with one of our groups, uh, our, our guys, is that they were both young guys with newly married with young children. Children are the greatest way to build relationships with other people. And uh, so they began to have people over, they had little barbecues, they just got to know their neighbors. And what they discovered was that their neighbors were overwhelmingly young couples with small children like they, ha they had. And they began to say, well, Lord, you know, that's interesting. Uh, a lot of the people in England said, you know, church is for church people and that's not us. And so they knew our guys were church people. And so they said, those guys are not like us. But as they began to build, get, build relationships with their neighbors, their neighbors began to say, these are pretty cool guys. <laughs> you know, I, I can relate to them, they're like me. You know, they discovered that they had a lot of the life experiences of their neighbors. Most of their neighbors came from broken homes. None of them were married. It's not common in England anymore. People don't get married, they just move in together. And, but one of the things that they all shared is that because of the difficult growing up years that they had, they didn't want their kids to go through what they went through growing up. And they had a strong desire that somehow their relationship, their family would be different than the family that they grew up in. But they didn't know how to do it because many of them hadn't been fathered, right? Many of them hadn't been in a family with stable relationships, with loving relationships between husband and wife. And so they, they began to, our guys began to pray. 
And they said, Lord, what should we do? And he gave them an inspiration. And they decided to get a small group of guys together, and they called it Guys Behaving Dadly. <laughs> and so as they met in the local pub with their mates and the friends that they were getting to know, they would say, you know, we've been talking and we've, we've talked about the fact that we didn't have a really good upbringing, but we want our marriage, I want our family life to be different. And we thought about getting a group of guys together to talk about what are the things that make a difference to not having a relationship that it not only survives, but thrives. So that our kids are raised in a way where they can make uh, a positive addition to the world and have a positive attitude about themselves and about life. And they got a few guys that said, well, come. Well, the first time they had the meeting, they said, what we're going to do is we'll, we'll have some time where we play with the kids, because some of the guys really didn't know how to do that. And then the wives will come, the seminary wives will come and take the kids, and we'll be free to do our dad stuff. And we'll talk about things that make a difference in being a dad. And so they did, they played, and they had 22 dads from the neighborhood show up. They were overwhelmed. And they began, over time, to build relationships, and it became a thing, and it began to spread. And when we left England, finally, there were over 80 dads meeting once a month and, uh, to talk about behaving dadly. And one of the things our guy said, well, one of the things that's made a difference to us are values. What are the values you want to build into your family? And they said, for us, we've got to be honest with you guys. The thing that's changed our values the most is coming to faith in Christ. Tell us about that. What does it mean, have a relationship with God? What's that all about? Well, you know, we're, we're not sure what that means. And they talked about the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. They talked about what it meant to live for God, what it meant to receive his life and learn to love the way that God loves. And they talked about the kind of values that enable you to build a long-standing relationship, you know, to be able to build the kind of relationship that can make a difference in the lives of your children. And they began then to talk about the whole aspect of faith. And it was amazing what God did. And so that began to grow and grow. This past fall when I took a group of our clergy to England to watch our missional communities, to get a, catch, to get a glimpse of missional discipleship, uh, they, the guys' dad group is still going strong. The exciting thing is that the missional communities, when we left, we had six missional communities established by our seminarians. There are now 14, and they're about to add two more. And it's all about the saints of God. Ordinary guys, gals, coming together, taking what they've got and saying, Lord, show us how you want us to serve others. There was another young man who was a teenager in our, our missional community. And his name was Sam. And I love Sam. He was cool. I mean, he re all the girls said, it's cool and totally unaware of his coolness, but he was cool. And uh, Sam uh, was kind of trying to figure out what God wanted him to do with his life. And so he was working at Starbucks, he was a barista, and as he walked through the streets, he began to notice in the inner city where we lived that there were all kinds of people living on the streets that were poor, homeless, hungry. And he said, Lord, what am I supposed to do about that? And so he began to pray, and then he went to the manager and said, would you mind if I take the excess product that we haven't sold 
and give it to the people on the streets to help feed them. And the manager said, sure, we were just gonna throw it out. And so Sam, every day, every night after work, would take a couple of big bags and go out and start feeding the homeless. But he didn't just give them food, he sat down with them. And he ate a muffin with them and they began to talk. He got to know them. They began to build relationships with each other. And I found out on the streets that everybody knew about Starbucks Sam. <laughs> and what he was doing is he was loving these people like Mother Teresa did. He took what he had to do what he could to make a difference in the lives of others. And the thing that was amazing is he began to draw, without realizing it, people together. There was a whole community of homeless people where they had been living isolated, lonely lives. Now they were being drawn into a community where Sam was beginning to manifest and in his own way share with them the love of Christ. One of the things that began to happen out of that is that they discovered that Sam was praying about becoming a seminarian. He wasn't even a seminarian. He's a teenager. They, they said, could we, could we have church? Sam said, I guess. <laughs> and so they began to meet every week in the park and all of the homeless in the area would come and they would sing a couple of songs with a guitar. Sam would talk a little bit about Jesus and he got them praying for each other building community, he changed the whole nature of our inner city area because of the love that was now being shown. People began to support each other. People began to reach out to each other. One day, one of the homeless people died on the streets and all the other homeless people said, this guy has no family. We're his family. Isn't that what it means to be church? And they said, we need to have a service. Sam, would you lead a funeral service? Sam came to me and said, do I have to be ordained to do this? And I said, no, God's already ordained you. You're baptized, right? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, here's a few things that you can do, and you pray about it, because God has anointed you to be the pastor of this community of people. And he said, yeah, I know it. I love them. And so Sam did it. And again, the community began to grow and grow. There was another lady in our missional community. See, prayer is a dangerous thing. And her name was Colette Bewley. And Colette was a barrister. She was a lawyer, uh, was a partner in one of the very prestigious law firms in the city of Bristol. And she and her husband, her husband was the chief surgeon at South Mead Hospital in Bristol. And uh, Colette and Jeremy were members of our missional community. And Patty, my wife Patty, and Colette would go prayer walking through the community, praying for the people, praying for the needs, saying, Lord, what do you want us to do in our community? And pretty soon, Colette began to say, you know, I'm supposed to be praying for the neighborhood, but that's not where my heart is. And Patty said, well, where's your heart? She says, my heart is with all my fellow lawyers and judges in the legal community. And she says, I have to be honest, I don't know of a more secular group of people in this city than those people. And there's no way that most of those people are ever gonna walk into a church given the British culture. Church is for church people, and that's not us. We went to a, a meeting, a gathering, a social gathering, and talking to a young lady who was a lawyer, and it was about New Year's, and Patty was very bold. He says, well, you, you know my husband is here training vicars for the Church of England. She said, if you wanted to find out more about God, where would you go? And without a second going by, the lady said, not to church. 
Patty said, why is that? She says, going into church is too much commitment. Would you go to a pub? Yeah, I'd go to a pub, but I wouldn't go to church. And so Colette was saying, how do I reach these people, Lord? What do you want me to do? And so God began to speak to Colette over time, and she felt God was calling her to become a chaplain to the legal community of Bristol. She's well-known, highly respected. She resigned her partnership and said, Lord, let me find out what you want me to do. She stepped out in faith. She went to the various legal firms. She offered herself. She found herself counseling lawyers that were having difficulties in their marriage, staff, others. And then as she and her husband prayed, she noticed that out in front of the inns of court, where all the legal offices and courtrooms are, was the Avon River. And on the Avon River was all of these piers where there were these docks for river boats, canal boats. And God gave her a vision that she and her husband were supposed to build a river boat that she would dock right outside the ends of court and use it to plant a church. Now she's a layperson, right? And so they prayed. Uh, one of the joyous things that Patty and I had the, the honor of doing when we were back in England this fall is we got to christen the boat. It's actually there. And what she's doing is that it's right outside the ends of court. It's a place where she can meet with people. It's a place where they can have barbecues. It's a place where they can have Bible studies now. It's a place where they have drinks after work. It's become a gathering place for all of the legal community. And Colette is the chaplain to all of these people. I love God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these other things will be added to you. You see, as the people of God, as the saints of God, we underestimate what God can do through us. And the stories I've told you of a teenager, little woman, Lord, what do you want me to do about all these poor people? A lawyer, ordinary folk that made the dangerous transition and began to pray and say, Lord, what would you have me do? I've been set apart for your purpose. What do you want me to do? Now the other thing you need to know and understand about these people is what they have done has not been a sacrifice to them. They are so pumped and so filled with joy and energy of what God is doing through them that they are transformed people that are passionate about what they're doing in their lives now. Colette is so thrilled that she's no longer dealing with torts and contracts, but actually touching people's lives in a more deep and meaningful way. Now, if you're a lawyer dealing with torts and contracts, God can honor you and use you there too. <laughs> but the point I want to make is, this isn't a sacrifice for them. I love what Paul said, and he said, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I have considered them rubbish that I may gain Christ. What Paul is saying is, I gave up some stuff, yeah, but what I have gained is so much more than I could have imagined. This is the joy of being a saint of God. Sometimes people ask, how can Christians be good citizens of this world if they're primarily concerned about the next? 
how can we be good citizens here on earth if we're talking about being committed to the kingdom of heaven? The people that I've just mentioned will show you the difference that being concerned about the kingdom of heaven is about. C.S. Lewis noted, people most conscious of the next world have made the most effective Christians in this one. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Pretty powerful. Each of us has a heavenly calling that we begin to live out here on earth. That's why we as saints must take our call seriously to be the saints of God, to be stewards of the mystery of God, to know that God has blessed us so that we can be a blessing to others. This is when the Christian life gets exciting. May you have excitement in your Christian walk. May the Lord bless you so that you may be a blessing to others. May the Lord do for you more than you could ask or imagine. May we begin to believe what Christ believes for us. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, send your Holy Spirit. Bless and anoint us that your spoken word might become a living word in our hearts. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, today we celebrate the Feast of All Saints. And one of the things that is always fun is to find out what people think a saint is. What would be your definition of a saint? And often when I've chatted with people or people in the culture around us, well, they'll say a saint is a very unique person who's different than I am. Uh, a saint is someone who has been called. They are extraordinarily gifted in some way, but ultimately they are different than I am. Now, I love what Archbishop to Canterbury Robert Runcie said when he was in a mischievous mood and he was being interviewed by a BBC reporter. The reporter asked him, uh, Archbishop, uh, what would you call a saint? And he said, a saint is a famous Christian whose life has been insufficiently researched. <laughs> now, part of what he's saying, uh, would be the fact that the church is not very quick to declare someone to be a saint. And that there is time and a process that goes so that a person's life is in fact a testimony uh, to their faith. But there's another sense in which the word saint is used, and this is the biblical sense. Neither one of these first two definitions of saint are the biblical definition. And when you get into scripture, you'll discover that the word for saint simply means someone who has been set apart for God's purposes. Someone who's been set apart for God's purposes. Now, if you've been baptized, how many of you have been baptized? Okay, you have been set apart for God's purposes. That's what baptism is all about. And if you've been set apart, then you are a saint of God, number one, because of Christ's atoning sacrifice on the cross, that when we make our baptismal covenant when we 
are going to be confirmed. Those of you that are going to be confirmed today, you will be asked, do you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you intend to follow him as your Lord? And so if you say yes to that, then you have accepted Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And number two, in your confirmation, you are offering yourself to the Lord for his use, for his purposes. And so you've been set apart for God's purposes. Now, I love what Paul says in Ephesians 1.1, because Paul says, as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. And so Paul is writing to ordinary folk, not people who are different than we are, but people just like us. And saints, in the biblical sense, are people just like us who have given themselves, opened their hearts, yielded their lives for God's purposes. Now, when I think of the image of a saint, the image that most comes to my mind is of a stained glass window. And if you've ever been in a, a large church with stained glass windows or a cathedral with stained glass windows at night, what do you see? Not much. You know, there's nothing special about the windows. It's just kind of dark in, you know, sitting there. But what happens when the light comes, when the daylight comes? The windows come alive. They become brilliant. You begin to see different colors. They take on textures. And that's what a saint is. A saint is someone through whom Christ's light shines. Someone through whom Christ's light shines. And this is why Jesus tells us, let your light sh uh, so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify who? your Father in heaven. So we're supposed to allow, as a saint, Christ's light to shine through us, to do the good things he set apart for us to do, that God has a plan and purpose for each of our lives, a way that he's gifted us and wants to use us to be a blessing to others. And as we do that, our light is to shine through what we do so that who's glorified? The Father in heaven is glorified. And that's what a saint does. It's not about the saint, it's about directing people to the God who loves them. Now, I love Mother Teresa because Mother Teresa of India, many of you know of her, uh, we think of her as someone who really was different than we are in a lot of ways. But when you read her story, you discover that the real story is that she's just a little bitty woman. She's about four, eight, really tiny little thing. And all she was doing was teaching at a very exclusive uh, Roman Catholic girls' school in Delhi, India. But she went out and became burdened. She was disturbed by looking at the people who were poor and homeless and living and dying on the streets of, of the city of Delhi in India. And she began to pray about it. And you need to know that prayer is a powerful thing. And as she prayed, she, her heart was burdened for these people who were just living and dying in the street, uncared for. And so she said, Lord, someone ought to do something about it. God said, yes. And then Teresa said, well, what should I do? And she just had a sense that she should do what she could do. And so she simply got a bucket of water, a bar of soap, a washcloth, and a towel, and went out into the streets and simply began to cleanse and wash and love the people that she was finding on the streets. 
She treated them with dignity and respect. She believed very deeply that these are special people, not the cast-offs of society, but these people have been made in the image of God. And because they're made in God's image, they need to know his love. And she was there to let Christ's light shine through her so that they could somehow, hopefully, see God's love through her in her ministry. I love that because she would say she's no one special. She just did what she could with what she had to the glory of God. She knew her life belonged to Jesus and that Christ's love was meant for all people. And so I love my favorite, another Teresa quote. And she said, not many of us will dare to do great things, but we can all dare to do small things with great love. We can all dare to do small things with great love. And that's what she sought to do with her life. Who would have thought that a little woman carrying a bucket of water and a bar of soap and a washcloth would have impacted the whole world with a message of Christ's love? That's what God does through his saints, ordinary people. Now there's a mystery about being a saint. And this is a mystery that saints understand. And that mystery is that there is a kingdom that is more powerful and more important in many ways than the kingdom of the world in which we live. That the important thing isn't how to get ahead in life, but how do you make most of the gift of life that God has given you. And Jesus said to the disciples, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then everything you need will be added to you. Everything you need will be added to you. C.S. Lewis said, sometimes people ask me, why do Christians think so much about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God? And he said, well, it's precisely because those who are most concerned with the kingdom of heaven are the ones who are most effective in the kingdom of earth. Seek for heaven and you'll get everything else thrown in. Focus on earth and you'll miss it all. And saints are those who are seeking to grab hold of the mystery of God's kingdom. A saint lives, lives to accomplish God's heavenly will on earth. A saint recognizes that all that they are and all that they have belongs to the Lord. So a saint is a steward of the life that God has given them of the gifts and talents, of the way they use their time, the way they use their resources, because their goal is to do what? Manifest the life of Christ to others, to seek first the kingdom of God in some way so that others can discover that there's a God who loves and cares for them, who through the kingdom of God can transform the kingdom of earth and make it into an outpost of heaven, if you will. Now there was a young man, uh, my wife and I, uh, lived in England for seven years. I was asked to become part of an international team to redesign the way that Eng clergy in the Church of England were trained. And so I was asked to serve on the faculty at Trinity College in Bristol, England. And one of the young men that we came in contact with was a teenager, and his name was Sam. He became part of a missional community that we were a part of, that we helped plant. And Sam was a young man who had a heart for God. Uh, he was also really cool. 
all the girls looked at Sam and said, he, he's really cool, and, and he really was. And Sam uh, had finished his secondary schooling and was working at Starbucks. And he began walking the streets like Mother Teresa and began to notice all these poor and homeless people that were living on the streets of Bristol. And he began to pray about it. Prayer is a powerful thing. And he said, Lord, you know, what can I do? What can I do? And Sam noticed that every evening at Starbucks, they threw away all the unsold food that they didn't sell. They had to by law. And so he went to the manager and said, could I have the food and I'll take it to the homeless people that are out on the streets? And the manager said, sure. And so Sam took a couple of bags of food each night and he would start walking the streets and he would find people and he would sit down and he would give them food, but not just give them a muffin or a sandwich or something. He would sit down and eat with them and they would begin to talk and they began to build a relationship. And Sam began to get to know all of the homeless people in that part of Bristol. And it was amazing because after a couple of months where Sam consistently did this, the word out was that, have you heard about Starbucks Sam? <laughs> he's a young man, he's coming, and he's making a difference. And so he began to just love on these people, treat them with dignity, treat them with respect, that they've been made in the image of God. They deserve to know about the love of God. And he began to reach out and spend time with them. And he began to lead some of them to the Lord. And they began to say, well, what, what you've, you've told us is that as Christians, we're supposed to gather to worship. Can we have a worship service? We need to find out what that means. And so Sam began to hold, hold a worship service with all these homeless people in the local park. And more and more homeless came. The whole nature of that part of the city began to change because the homeless people began to look out for each other. They began to take care of each other. They began to pray for each other. They began to reach out to one another. And rather than being a place of isolation and fear, it became a place of community and concern. All through this teenager, you know, Sam would say, all I wanted to do was just give some food. But he was willing to be used of God. He was willing to allow the light of Christ to shine through him. One afternoon, Sam came to me at the seminary, and he said to me, one of the guys died. And all the homeless people said, we're a church. We can't just let him die without praying for him. Would you lead a funeral? Sam said, I'm not ordained. You know, well, what should I do? And I said, but Sam, you've been called by God. You are these people's pastor. And so we sat down, and I took out the Book of Common Prayer, showed him a few things in the Book of Common Prayer. And Sam led a funeral service for this man that had passed away. And that was so significant because all the other homeless people said, my life matters, that I'm no longer here so it's, it's important that people care that I'm no longer here. You know, it's important that I know, that they know that I've gone to be with the Lord. That what we've been through in this life does not define my life. But rather, it's the life we have in the kingdom of God. It's the life we have in Jesus that determines the importance of who I am. That I've been made in the image of God and that God loves me. So... A saint recognizes, as Jesus said, 
wherever your treasure is, there is your heart also. And I love Sam because Sam's treasure was in Christ and his passion was reaching out in love to those in need. Now Sam is now living in Sweden. He's gotten married and he's helping to plant missional communities all over Sweden. You know, he's about 26 now, I guess. Not ordained, he's just a regular person, a believer in Jesus that wants to use him, wants to be used by him for God's purposes. There's another woman that was part of our missional community in Bristol. Uh, prayer's a powerful thing. And her name was Colette. And one of the things that we talked about is that God has called each and every one of us as saints to be his servants and that he's blessed us and gifted us in some way and he wants to use us in, in a way to make a difference in the world around us. And so Colette began to take this seriously. And our missional community was to try and reach out to our area, which was overwhelmingly very, very secular. And hardly anybody went to church. And we were saying, how are we supposed to meet these people? And so my wife Patty and Colette would go on prayer walks through the neighborhoods, saying, Lord, show us the neighborhood, show us the people Speak to us as we're praying. Help us know how you want to bless the people that live here. And after a while, Colette began to say, oh, Patty, you know, we're supposed to be praying for the neighborhood, but that's not where my heart is. Patty said, where's your heart? She says, well, I'm a lawyer. I'm a barrister. She was a partner in a very large, prestigious law firm. And my heart, she said, is I want to reach my fellow lawyers in Bristol. She says there's not a more secular group of people in this city than these lawyers. And the chances of them ever going into a church on a scale of one to 10 are about minus three. It ain't gonna happen. The, the culture is such that they aren't gonna go. In England, only 3% of the people in England go to church more than once a year. And so where we were living in Bristol, it was not unusual to find people who'd never been in church, never heard the Lord's Prayer, never seen a Bible, had no experience with what faith was all about at all. And so Colette said, I believe God wants me to reach out into the legal community somehow. And so Patty and Colette began to pray. Colette began to pray with her husband, Jeremy, who was the chief surgeon at the Southmead Hospital, a very large hospital near us. And they began to pray, and they began to have a sense of what God wanted them to do. And Colette said, Ron, I want to talk to you. I said, okay. And she says, I feel that God wants me to resign from my legal firm and become a chaplain to the legal community. She's highly respected. Everyone knows her. She's not a flake, you know. And I said, have you and Jeremy prayed about this? And she said, yeah. And I said, are you both at peace about this? And I said, yeah, we feel God wants us to do that. And I said, are you excited about this? She says, yeah, I am. I said, well, let's go for it. Let's pray. And so Colette prayed. She resigned. She began to offer herself to the legal community, to the staff and, and the various legal offices, and began just to meet with people that had needs. Now, Colette's not ordained. She's just a housewife who happens to be a lawyer, you know. And as she began to work with the legal community, 
she noticed that out, fr out in front of the inns of court, that's where all of the courts were and where all the large legal firms were, was the Avon River. And on the Avon River, which was literally right across the street from the inns of court, were all of these piers, these docks, where people would berth their river boats, their canal boats. And she felt God speak to her and said, you and Jeremy are supposed to build a riverboat and berth it in the dock right across from the ends of court. And I want you to build a church. And so these people would never go to church because church is for church people and that's not what the lawyers were. But she was saying, well, if they aren't going to go to church, we'll bring church to them. So during lunch hour, people gather at their boat. Patty and I had the privilege of christening that boat while we were in England this fall. And uh, it was wonderful because now she's having Bible studies there. It's a place where people gather after work for drinks. It's a place where they come and have barbecues. It's a place where Christian community is being built. Relationships are being established and where she can lovingly reach out with Christ's love to the legal community in Bristol. And it's happening. And you know what? There's going to be a church on that riverboat. It's going to happen. I know it. I can see it. And I can see Colette's loving patience that will bring it about. You see, saints are simply people of God willing to be used by God for his purposes. And as I've shared these stories, the thing that I want you to take away is what Mother Teresa said. They were just ordinary people who sought to do small things with great love. Are there areas in your life, are there people that you know that are hurting? Are there people that you know need a friend? Are there people that you know who are hurting and lost, whose marriages may be struggling? People looking for a, a purpose and a direction for their lives, just wanting to know that someone cares. The only thing you need to do is to reach out to them and dare to do small things with great love. As we come to the time of confirmation, one of the things we are affirming is the love that God has for us that Jesus is our Savior and Lord, that he's given his life for us. But what we're also doing in confirmation is saying, Lord, use me. Help me be the kind of person through whom you can show your love. Let me be a kind of person that will dare to do small things with your great love, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.